what we're trying to do is connect with all different kinds of folks that have come to say this is really important. So a lot of these are to relate and connect with different kinds of people. Uh, you know, not everyone has studied and, you know, um, uh, you know, made a, basically a living out of the Jewish, understanding the Jewish people. Uh, and so I wanted to give, we wanted to give a variance and understanding. And, and, and just, I, I met Connie in, in the process of, of planning this class and getting to know her, and, and, and we just wanted all these stories to be shared to, to connect with you guys. Connie? Good morning. Um, as he said, my name is Connie Altman, and I really don't, have any master's degrees or, or PhDs to put forth toward this, but um, just have what the Lord has given me, which is my testimony. So I wanted to share that with you this morning. Um, and I know that God is faithful when we show up. Uh, he does amazing things. So um, thank you for being here um, and for choosing to spend your day this way. Um, I accepted Christ when I was six. I knew what the gospel meant. I knew that Jesus died for my sins and that all I had to do was accept him and that I would be transferred into his kingdom. Uh, But it took many years for me to really give my life to the Lord and understand that my life was meant to be his. Um, I regularly attended church, even though my family um, did not. And... uh, prayed, read scripture, um, but my life did not reflect Christ at all. Um, I struggled with fear, um, lust, uh, depression, um, and a lot of things, and really lived in the world. Um, When I was 19, I was engaged to be married, and um, it was really a result of me living in the world and me um, living my life how I wanted to live it. Um, God was very grateful. He was very um, faithful to me to rescue me from that relationship. Um, We did not end up getting married, and I continued in college, um, really living the way that I wanted to live. Um, Struggled with anxiety and depression a lot and realized at that point that I needed to seek help. So um, got on medication and began to seek counseling um, and really found a lot of healing in that, but there was still something missing. Um, I was still drinking on the weekends, um, uh, having inappropriate relationships with men, and partying a lot. Um, A friend of mine who was walking with the Lord approached me and began to walk alongside me and really discuss um, the inconsistencies in my life. I would say that I was a Christian. I would say that I was a believer, but obviously wasn't living it. And I just, you know, I couldn't find the right church. Um, But when I did, I would uh, begin to attend church and get plugged in. Um, And the Holy Spirit really used her to turn my life around. Um, At that point, I realized that I had tried my way, and it was not working, and it would never work for me. Um, or anybody else, and that I needed to try God's way, um, and that he was the answer that I was seeking. So um, really prayed and said, okay, I'm going to give it my all. Um, I've trusted in you before, but have always held something back. Um, this time I can't do that. So gave him authority over all areas of my life. Um, don't ever pray that prayer if you don't mean it. Um, I lost my job. I... Um, I was going to do a master's program in psychology, and he said, no, you're not going to do that. And I said, okay. Um, and just uh, stopped drinking, stopped dating. A lot of these things that had led me down paths um, that led me to death, um, I had the ability and um, the desire to say no um, and to walk away from those. So 
really changed my life. Um, and it's funny to see how uh, I lived for so long in denial. But um, So that happened just about three years ago. Um, one of the verses at that time that was really clear to me was Romans 7.18, which says, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I knew what was the right thing to do. Um, I just had no power to do it. Um, so experience transformation, uh, haven't been on medication for over three years, haven't needed it or um, desired to have the inappropriate relationships that I had before, um, and really have been able to be an encouragement to others um, and to really serve God with my whole heart. So um, my challenge now, I know that God is continuing to grow my heart, and this is a, a big part of that. Uh, I met a friend of mine through a family member who could not get enough of the Jewish people um, and the Jewish nation in Hebrew. He's actually learning Hebrew right now, um, which is amazing to me. And so we would have conversations about scripture, and I would give him my cultural interpretation of, um, you know, what the verse meant to me. Um, and obviously the Holy Spirit works as well. But um, he would expand it and deepen it in such a way because he knew what... Um, a Jewish person would think. He knew that that scripture in the New Testament had a history of thousands of years, um, that it was based in a love for Israel and how Israel would um, be used to change the entire world and call the entire world back to him. So um, he got me thinking a lot about uh, my responses and really my knowledge or lack thereof of scripture. Um, and so I emailed Todd about something that he said on Sunday. This is a few months ago. And he shot my email directly to Lisa, as I think she alluded to. And Lisa was uh, just so sweet and obviously has such a heart for the Jewish people. And uh, so we began to meet on Sundays. Um, and I think it took about a month. And the Lord just opened doors. People that had been previously very close to um, any idea of studying um, Jewish roots were... Um, contacting her and telling her, well, why don't you do this for training day? Like, we need to we need to get this in. And so it was very exciting to see the Lord work in that way and to see how um, how he wanted this and he how he was promoting it. Um, so I know that um, God's heart is for Israel. Um, I see that I, there's lyrics that talk about, um, Lord, I want my heart to break for what breaks yours. This breaks God's heart. Um, it's all over scripture, and I've missed that. Um, the majority of my life, I've missed that in my own life and um, in the broader picture. And just to understand that I'm a part of a bigger picture, it doesn't start with Christianity. Um, so my prayer for all of us is just that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would open our eyes um, to help us to see his love for us, but his love for the Jewish people as well. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, my scripture, you already mentioned it, but I'll share, um, was Romans 7, 17, 18. Oh, I forgot about that. Um, I wasn't even going to talk about it. Um, this is interesting. I've just been reading a lot uh, about the covenants and um, just trying to get a... a some kind of knowledge about um, our Jewish roots, and this just jumped out at me. Um, Daniel 9:19 says, "O Lord, hear, O Lord, forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. 
Um, and this was Daniel's prayer, um, just crying out to God for the people of Israel um, that we're not following God um, and we're going astray. Um, and just shows in Daniel's heart how we should respond. Um, this should be our prayer. Um, and so often it's not. So often it's, it's focused on um, what we struggle with on a day-to-day basis or, or where we are in our lives. Um, and I just thought that um, this is exactly what God wants us to understand um, and to see. So, thank you. I just realized that's a perfect scripture going into the, uh, to the next part. Uh, Jeremiah 29.11. You guys know that one? Yeah. Well, most Christians, yeah, you could probably quote it. Someone quote it. Right. I got it. I got that on my plaque when I graduated high school. I was like, wow, God has great plans for me, everything else. And in the process of studying uh, the scripture in its context, oh, wait, it's about Israel and the plans in the midst of judgment. And that's what God does. And that's what Daniel in that scripture, really connected with. Oh Lord, notice who's doing the acting here. He's asking God to act because when you connect with the heart of God, you realize that He's the one that does it. These covenants and promises and everything as relates to the Jewish people, I mean, you, you read about that. In Deuteronomy, I didn't choose you because you were the greatest of all the nations. In fact, you were the least. And yet, out of that, he brings his, his salvation, his deliverance, his plans, his purposes. So that's what Daniel's connecting with. Oh, Lord, hear. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, pay attention and act. God, you act. Delay not for your own sake. He's not even saying it for the sake of, of oh, we're, we're repentant. Look at us. We're doing this, and we're doing this, and we're doing this. He's saying, you do this. Because of your own sake, oh my God, because of your city, your people are called by your name. That's the exact prayer that Moses said. When, when uh, God came and says, I'm going to wipe out the people after the, you know, they make the golden calf. And Moses says, no, 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 wait a minute. What are the other nations going to say? Did you call them out here to kill them all? Your name is tied to this. Your reputation He used that and challenged God, maker of heaven and earth. He challenged that. I think that's incredibly powerful. And that's why that verse really stuck out. But Jeremiah 29, 11. Now that's something I want to challenge you with. Um, Do I believe... I didn't remove Carla. I only imagined they did. Anyway, that was a conversation on the way over. She was like, I don't know if I'm going to share, and da-da-da-da-da. And so I, I, I either dream or something that I removed her name. So I was like, I already moved your name. And she's like, oh, you removed my name? So I only intended to remove it. Not, no, just kidding. But what, what ha- when we read the scriptures, we often pick it up and, oh, it immediately goes straight to us. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's the point of so much. Is, is that, and that's what I say. Israel's story is our story. But don't forget that story. Because it makes sense to us in that context. It makes sense to us only when you have the understanding of what Israel has gone through, its history, what God's promised them, and so on. That no matter, I mean, if you just look, somebody, somebody asked me once, was like, well, how do I know that God exists? I mean, I can't see him. I said, look 
at the Jewish people. You've got living empirical proof that God exists. Open your eyes. Look at that history. It makes no sense without God. And you can tell your friends that. In fact, that's what God said to Moses when Moses said, Who shall I say sent me? I don't talk so well. He says, Tell them that I am that I am sent you. There's a problem with that statement because we can only translate it because of the Greek. Um, But the Hebrew, there's the problem. There's no being verbs in Hebrew. There's no am. It's just I. I sent you. But hayah ve'ahayah, I am that I am, actually dynamically can be translated. An Orthodox Jewish uh, uh, Hebrew scholar helped me with this. He said, you will watch. You will see who I am. In other words, it's an experiential understanding. That's how I communicate who I am. And he recorded those experiences in, 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 in his word, in the Bible, so that we can understand who God is. And if we as Christians say, God's done with the Jewish people, all the curses are on them, well, luckily all the blessings on us, what is he going to do to your life? What is he going to do to your life? Is he going to just cut you out? Oh, that's it. That's done. I had this plan. I made this covenant. Yeah, it was for eternity. Uh, yeah, the eternity, you know, including the land and all this other stuff. But you know what? They really messed up. So, you know, I'm going to have to just work through something else. In fact, every time even God says, I'm going to just uh, kill all these people and work through you, Moses. Moses is the one that stops. That's the heart of those who really understand and follow God. You have Abraham do the same thing. Oh, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Ah, oh, but wait, wait, wait. If there's one, if there's two, if there's, you know, and so on. But you also see it constantly with the Jewish people and the prophets. In the midst of all the judgments and everything else, it's like, ah, oh, but I have a plan for you. Give you a hope and a future. And I will do this. I mean, you read all of Isaiah. We, as a church here at Watermark, we went through the entire book of Isaiah as we're trying to read through all the prophets. You read through all this, and it's like, oh my goodness, all this horrible stuff and sin, and we got this and whatever. And then you hit Isaiah 60. For Zion's sake, I will not be silent. For Jerusalem's sake, and that's one of the verses we go through. In other words, he knows who he is, and that's why he does judge his people who are called by his name. But ultimately, he says every time, I'm the one that's going to change. I'm the one that's going to bring back. It has nothing to do with the Jewish people. Some Christian scholars and evangelical scholars, and I want to make this really clear, say that the Jewish people do not have a right to the present land of Israel because of the, they're not living and they don't believe in Jesus. Scripture again and again and again affirms he brings his salvation despite what we do. That is the message that we believe is Christians in salvation. I feel like I'm preaching all of a sudden. Anyway, um, but that's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to do this. And we get to watch him take part of it. I mean, how many times in your life has he brought salvation to you when you did not know the way out? And if any of you have accepted Christ and you say, oh, no, I always knew the way out. I just didn't do it. Well, that's not what Scripture says. says, He said that to Peter. Peter's hanging out with Jesus. 
Peter turns to him and says, well, who do people say that I am? Well, you're this, you're that, you're the prophet, you're a good teacher, what have you. Well, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Messiah. And he says, no man revealed this to you, but only God's Spirit, only the Father in Heaven revealed it. Peter, hanging out with Jesus, needed the Father and the Holy Spirit to reveal it to him. So we cannot get arrogant. In fact, that's what it says in, in Romans. Uh, that it is by, oh no, uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where it brings up that it is not by our works that we are saved so that no one can boast. Salvation. And so that, that's, that's what it came to. Now, a little bit of, uh, of my story and, and history, and really it's just Carla and I's story because we haven't been married that long. Um, uh, we... Uh, Going back, I had great parents who loved uh, the Lord and raised me with a very respectful understanding of Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, and, and so that was a foundation that was built on. I remember the first Bible I had, had pictures of Israel, and I would just stare at those pictures. I'm just, oh, one day I'm going to go. One day I'm going to go there, and, and so on. And, uh, uh, and that was the New American Standard Bible, my first Bible. So that really had a lot of heart and love, and, and a lot of the teaching my dad and mom had uh, really spoke to a very positive perspective about Israel. So I went to Bible school after high school. And I went to uh, college, I mean high school, with uh, Essie here on the front row. Which I haven't seen her very much since then. But I went to TCA, and everyone went to their various colleges and high school and so on. And then there was Andrew going off to Europe. It was, I remember reading that in the, uh, the graduation ceremony. It was like, Bodensehof. <laughs> it was a Bible school in Germany. Uh, where, did you, where did you go? Baylor. And that was like, it was like Trinity Part 2, right? <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So anyway, so I went to uh, to, to Bodensehof, um, and that's actually where I met my wife, uh, Carla. And uh, while we were there, again, there was a, a couple incredible speakers. Johann Shep, uh, he came from Israel. He was a, a, a Jewish uh, um, believer who, was he Jewish? He wasn't Jewish. He just loved Israel. And he lived down in Lalat. Uh, I'd love Israel if I could hang out in a lot the whole time. It's beautiful down there. Um, Europeans go down there to vacation. And, um, and so he was down there uh, speaking to people, loved Jesus. In fact, he showed up. We hit the streets the next hour after his teaching in Germany. And here I am, don't even know German, trying to tell people about Jesus. It was really, really cool. Uh, very inspiring. There was a couple other speakers, very positive uh, but then there was a break. I was going to do a winter semester in Germany and a spring semester in, in England. And in the second semester, we went to a town, um, a city, uh, Munich in Germany, and we took a day trip out to Dachau. And Dachau was a, a concentration camp. And that's where it really hit me. And, and it really affected me uh, about what happened and you started to learn a little bit about the Christian life at that time. And you're just, how does this work? How does this make any sense? So I just kind of left with that feeling. This is, there's, there's something uh, not quite fitting here. And so went away and was looking at what I was doing. I was going to either travel with some buddies and all of that. And I was calling home and I think somehow connected with Lenny Allen with Bridges for Peace, a wonderful Christian organization in, in Israel uh, that do just acts of kindness and service over there. And uh, so I connected with him uh, from our home church uh, at the time. 
And uh, he said, hey, I can get you and you can volunteer in Israel. I was like, oh, that'd be amazing. So went and was able to spend a month in Israel. It was over the Passover season, so I got to attend a Passover and everything else. And I was there for one month, and I thought, I've learned more. My heart touched much deeper than that whole prior six months of Bible school. Because you're there. You don't have to sit there and go, well, this is this in the Bible, and this happened over here. And all. I mean, you're like, oh, let's go there. Let's go see where it happened. Let's go pick some stones out of the river, and, and you know they're smooth and all that. I think the state of Israel supplies it. I found that out later so that people, the tourists can pick it up because <laughs> they're picking a lot of stones out of those rivers that David did. Um, but uh, <laughs> actually, that is true. They do supply it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I won't ruin everything. I've been there a lot. Okay, I'll try to, you know. But anyway, so, uh, so you know, it was just this amazing time, and God really touched me personally. And, and a part of this process, this was the scripture he really laid on my heart. And Carla was a part of this whole thing, and she was the first person that I read the scripture to as it had touched my life. Um, but, uh, I'll go to a Psalm 102. I'm going to read a little bit beyond what is up there. We kind of saw it uh, in that video before, but Psalm 102, 13, and I'm going to read all the way down uh, to verse 22. But you will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Already with that statement, my, my heart was burning. Uh, for her stones are dear to your servants. Her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord. All the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Let this be written for a future generation, that a people not yet created may praise the Lord, like Andrew. It doesn't say that in the text. I added that. That's The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. When I read that, I was thinking of Dachau, the concentration camps, and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. So, somehow I knew this was interacting. I was already connecting with Carla and sharing with her um, with a new way of communicating at the time and after Windows 95 came out called email. And so we have lots of emails. And that's when you wrote emails as if it was letters, so they're like really long. You're like, oh, I've got to write it all in one time, you know. Um, and so we have these gigantic emails uh, you know, they go back and forth during that time. And I, I left there and I, we did a semester in England, which was fantastic. And I was just telling her, I learned so much. And it was so exciting and so on and so forth. And I just knew I wanted to go back. I wanted to study that. I wanted to study the actual understanding of Jewish faith and background and scholarship and all of that kind of thing. Just very excited about that. Uh, one of the early things that really excited me, you know, we just went through the jars and the uh, that were filled by Jesus, uh, the first miracle. Uh, uh, Pastor Todd was talking about that. Well, there's a whole other layer there, and which is very exciting, where he says he went to the jars for the ceremonial cleansing of the Jews. 
That's all it says. You've got to understand, the New Testament is written in shorthand. It is written assuming that it is read near Jewish people who know Jewish history, Jewish tradition, and how things work. That's one of the, the, the aspects of when you learn the New Testament and it doesn't have that, you're missing a whole lot. Are you missing the main things that give you salvation relationship with God? Absolutely not. The way I explain it is, is that you have all the pencil drawings, even the shading, but you're missing the color. You're missing some of the hues, the blues and the greens and the oranges and, and so on, uh, to really flesh it out and, and give it kind of a full feeling. I'm gonna, and this is one of the examples. And so this guy who was kind of archaeologist and kind of helping with the organization, he said, he said, well, what's so special about mentioning the ceremonial jars of the Jews? And he says, do you know what those jars were? And I was like, never thought about it. They were ceremonial jars of the Jews. They, they used it for ceremonial washings or something. And he goes, connected, not only with the Old Testament, but what was happening at the time of, of, of Jesus, and you learn a lot more. If you go back to, uh, um, uh, I want to say numbers, but somewhere, yeah, it's numbers 19. And it talks about, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I'm, I'm uh, almost 100% sure, Romans 19, where it talks about Numbers 19. Where it, what's that? I did say Romans? Okay, you've got to watch it, because I will often do that. I remember giving this whole talk about uh, Truman. I was, saying, I was thinking Truman, and the whole time I was saying uh, Eisenhower. So, yeah, okay. So... And they had these are college students. They're like, um, it was Truman who, was, uh, who recognized the state of Israel. And I was like, that's what I said, Eisenhower. I, and then I caught myself. So anyway, yeah. Uh, lack of sleep, which is exactly, I, I got home yesterday at 5 in the morning after driving 24 hours from Flint, Michigan. Did you ever hear about Revive Flint? You ever hear about Revive Flint? It was amazing. Okay, a little little detour. It was amazing. I've never seen so many people come to know the Lord. I mean, you'd literally be walking down the street and they come out of their houses asking, asking for prayer and to be saved. I've never seen anything like that. Um, so anyway, we won't get into that because I'm still... 19. Numbers 19. That's why she, her name is up there. Um, oh, there, see, I... <laughs> There we go. So I did change it. <sighs> okay. So, uh, getting back, Numbers 19, it talks about taking the ashes of the red heifer, and with those ashes, you cleanse uh, from when you touch death. Okay? Uh, especially in, in various sins related to that. So, those jars that were there were those jars, those jars with the ashes of the red heifer. And then what they did in the second temple period, they would sacrifice the red heifer, they would take a pinch of it, put them in jars in Jerusalem, and then take them up and distribute them at synagogues throughout the land and throughout the diaspora, which is those outside of the land of Israel. So those are the jars. In order to fill those jars, because it says very clearly a priest has to fill those jars. The book of Numbers. Big problem. No one's allowed to touch those jars. No one's allowed to fill those jars. No one's allowed to do anything with those jars. Those are jars that are set aside for, for priests to fill at the appropriate time when they run out of water. And so they would take a pinch of that, put it in the jar, seal the jar, send them out. Uh, and a priest could do it through an intermediary. In other words, no one can command those jars to be filled except by the command of a priest. 
So when Jesus is challenged by his mom, and he's like, my time's not yet come, do whatever he says, I love that, that interaction. Um, and so it's like, well, Jesus, you're doing it this time. Um, so what does he do? He takes those jars. He fills those jars with water, commands those jars to be filled. He's identifying himself. It's more than a miracle. You've got to understand, at that time period, a lot of magic tricks were happening. A lot of miracles. People drawing circles and calling down rain, and it rained, and all kinds of stories, and you read about them. So you've got to look at how Jesus is interacting with Jewish tradition, biblical tradition, when he does his miracles. And every single one communicates far more and far deeper than, than what you see. And so he's identifying himself as a priest. Not only that, the water that is supposed to cleanse you from death turns into wine, which is a very popular symbol um, for, for, for Jesus. And, and that, that's his sacrifice through his blood. And that, and then he drinks it. He doesn't wash it. He drinks that water and says, this is better than the previous wine. Changes the whole story. He said, incredibly exciting. Um, and, and it just says, wow, Jesus is stepping out. He's saying who he is, at least to the people who saw him. And that's why it says his disciples believed the first of the miracles. So there was a double miracle in there. It wasn't just the change in the water to the wine. It was, cha- it was filling the jars and changing those jars with the water into wine. That's like the holy water. So... Things like that just become so much deeper. So I, I loved hearing those kind of things. So I said, I want to study this. So I wanted to go into Jewish Christian studies. Uh, and and it, it was great, but it was also academic, so it was very hard. Uh, Carl and I got married um, uh, uh, in 1998. We spent our first year of marriage in Israel, again, serving with Bridges for Peace. And uh, just doing, actually, I, I helped out with... Uh, 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 home repair, so I went into a lot of people's homes, got to see a lot of different, everything from Orthodox to secular to what have you, uh, Arab, Palestinian, everything. And it was just an incredible, incredible opportunity to really just get to know the land and learn and, and everything. And Carla volunteered and helped with the office, which she wasn't always so happy about. She wanted the more dramatic, you know, working at the food bank or working at those things. But God, I mean, she interacted probably as much, if not more, with the Israelis there. And we had, you know, the, the mailman, the mail carrier come over and hang out with us and uh, spend a Shabbat with us, right? He, he came over Shabbat. And uh, so we, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And... Um, so we spent there and went back, studied for a couple more years. And I was thinking, oh, you know, after a period, and we, we had now one son, Benjamin, was born. And we were thinking, okay, she's finishing up her schooling because she had to take a break and then maybe go on and do my master's because I was thinking I'm going to be a college professor or something like that. And, uh, and then my brother in 2002 was killed in a car accident. And that kind of just screeched everything to a halt. I didn't want to do anything. Um, it was incredibly traumatic for our whole family. And I said, I'm going to move back to Dallas. And so my brother and I, we started a window cleaning business. And, uh, and so that, what's that? Another, Another, different brother. Not the one. He wasn't raised from the dead. Uh, uh, yet. <laughs> and, uh, and so, 
So my younger brother and I started this business, and we were going to do that. Carl was like, hey, this isn't for you, ultimately. So we reapplied for a scholarship that was a potential at Seton Hall University, and I went there and studied for my master. Uh, last semester, I ended up getting a job with an organization called Bridges for, uh, sorry, with the David Project, uh, Center for Jewish Leadership. And I was hired because I was an evangelical Christian. It was an all-Jewish organization. And they heard that evangelical Christians uh, had a positive view of Israel, and so they were looking for evangelical Christians in New Jersey, New York. And they found me uh, and said, hey, I want to hire you. It was the most bizarre uh, situation. That's a, a story in and of itself. But basically, this Jewish leader out of Boston who helped release slaves in Sudan and all this kind of stuff started this organization to help Israel, and he was looking for Christians. So I got to work there. So I was the Goy boy. Uh, Goy is Gentile. Uh, The Goy boy working there. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun because, you know, a- interacted a lot of times to just kind of share heart why they would always come. So why is it that uh, Christians... Uh, support Israel and like the Jewish people because, you know, we have this idea of history, the history of Christianity in their mind, and it didn't seem to fit. So it forced questions. So I got a lot of opportunities to just kind of express uh, heart, um, what, what, what the gospel is, everything else, and just uh, that whole period was, was uh, pretty amazing. Uh, but I also was working, and it, it, was, it was also just now, it was kind of getting where I was like, okay, Got to help Israel. And I, and I think I gave myself strongly to that idea. Um, and there was even some aspects of disconnection in my life with uh, some personal faith. I was wrestling with a lot of ideas. Um, and, and so some things got real tough. And um, you could, you know, ask my family and they'll nod their head, you know, um, uh, really started and some things in personal life and things in the past started coming up that were really difficult uh, to deal with and I didn't deal with it. Uh, well, and so on. And, and not only was I working at the David Project, I got another job with uh, KUFI, or Christians United for Israel, uh, which was started in 2006, really as a response to get Christians politically active against Iran. Uh, and uh, it was started by a pastor down in, in San Antonio. Uh, but really, it was, it was a whole bunch of leaders. And within uh, five years, it is now the largest pro-Israel organization in the world and the fastest-growing Christian organization in the United States with over 650,000 members. So, but because it's easy to be a member. You basically sign up, say I'm a member, and you wait for an action alert, and then you write your Congress, or you do that. And then they have events in, in uh, Washington, D.C. But I was in charge of going up and down the East Coast and connecting with pastors and, 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 uh, and having events called Nights Honor Israel. But then my main job, the reason why I was brought over there, is to launch uh, the college network so that college students. So it was awesome to be able to work with college students. There's Stephanie right back there. She's one of the, the leaders that was on the campus and everything else. She did an amazing job. Um, and what was incredible about that is, is that you go to Christian students, and they're already having a difficult time being Christians on campuses. And you're like, eh, let's put another layer. Let's support Israel. Israel is not popular on college campuses. So it's like, okay, you're already not popular. Let's add something else. Uh, so that was, that was great fun, you know. Uh, but what was amazing is it actually energized the Christians. Um, and so the, the benefit was much greater than even supporting Israel. It allowed Christians to come out of their shell and um, really got them active, and they were forced to share their faith and, and so on. Um, uh, if, oh, and by the way, if you, 
if you are, uh, I know you guys are busy. If you decide to leave a little bit earlier, there is a sign-up sheet if you want to stay connected. So you just remind me of that. So anyway, so that was a part of that. I just wanted to help, and, and that was my heart. And um, that all came, stopped about a year ago when really I was I was workaholic for this for this cause uh, and this passion. And a lot of it I was taking on into my flesh rather than um, you know operating out of the spirit. And God was still using, you know, and, and that's the amazing thing of looking back is, is that, you know, God uses you when even when you're not uh, doing always the right things or in the right way or the, what have you. But I quit that. Um, I was on the road all the time. It was, I have five children. I wasn't seeing them very often. Um, and so it was just extremely hard. So uh, last year, about a year ago, quit. And it was a very low point because I was also facing a lot of difficult things in my life, a lot of things from the past and so on. Um, and so it was a very hard time for all of us. And, um, uh, and what happened within the last year is just God just started to rework, reconnect. And the story of Israel started becoming, once again, very personal, uh, very close. And, uh, you know, the story of Israel going away and coming back and all of that, that's why I'm saying... Israel's story is our story. Israel's story is our story. He never gives up on us. He, he made a promise and a commitment, and he doesn't give up. And he is mighty to save. And so, and so that has been happening the last year. Again, some difficult things. Last six months, I haven't had a job. Um, I've been doing some independent things and what have you. But the last six months has been the best six months, I think, of, my, of our lives so far in, in many ways. Uh, that matter, and uh, one was being delivered from the tyranny. And I know I've seen you and, and <laughs> careers in motion, but one of it is just being tied to the tyranny. Is that my value and my worth is tied to a job and what I do? God doesn't say that. He says, "Put first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you." And so that's a part of you know part of the liberation and the freedom that comes in this story. But then. In the process, I was willing to give up Israel. I mean, I was talking about, I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe I misunderstood. I'm going to just kind of give Israel back to God and, and all of that. And that's when this all started happening. And here I am, back talking about Israel. So, uh, so but, but the, the thing was is that, you know, when God put that on my heart, I, I thought, okay, i got to do a whole bunch of stuff to make it happen. And, and I said, whoa, wait a minute. Well, you know, let me do this, you know. You can't help Israel. <laughs> uh, uh, let me do this. And, so, and that's why we in this group are just kind of sharing that heart. And, and a lot of the things about our family that we really enjoy, that brings a lot of joy, and, you know, and we, we've had to fight, oh, isn't it legalistic and everything else? Let, let, me, let me go off on a soapbox a little bit on legalism. When you look at the New Testament, legalism is a way to manipulate the law or the Torah to get out of doing it not to find a way to serve God in doing it. Do you understand the difference? If someone uses anything as a part of their process in their relationship with God, it does not necessarily mean their heart is not in it. Religion is a platform. It can be a tool. And I know we often say that religion versus relationship, some people can use the religious platform in order to have faith in God and have a relationship. 
Some people use a religious platform to hide, and that's usually what we speak against in evangelical circles. It's a relationship, not a religion. You can stand on something. For example, anytime we have communion, we are doing religious activities. We don't say, oh no, we're not going to do communion, because that's religious. It's about a relationship. No. Jesus asks us to do some things. So how do you use that is you can either hide behind it and have, uh, you know, hide behind it in order to have a cultural idea or something of like, oh, yeah, I'm good, self-righteousness. Or you can say, hey, these are ways that in the past that people have been able to connect with God. Is this a way that God wants me to connect? And I don't want to go into every detail about the Torah and the law and what that means and everything else. But the idea is... These are things that are being given. If you look at these Jewish ideas and traditions, a lot of them are incredible show-and-tells of what God does. Passover is incredible. There's probably no... When Jesus said in in the, the Last Supper, which was a Passover meal, do this in remembrance of me, he didn't mean go and have crackers and juice. He says when you have the Passover meal... Do this in remembrance of me. And that part of the Passover meal is repeated every Friday night at Shabbat where you have the bread and the wine and the blessing. And I think that, that Pastor Todd Wagner here, is the, the, you know, the real heart is every time you sit down and have a meal together. Those are all valid ways of looking at it. There's nothing wrong with taking juice and crackers, but we've also forgotten where it comes from. The Passover meal. And when you, when you sit down and have a Passover meal with the idea of who the Messiah is, it is a whole other experience. You could even go and sit down with uh, Jewish friends, probably more on the Orthodox side, who actually stick with it, and get so much out of it, and never even talk about Jesus, and you'll hear Jesus throughout the whole thing. You'll see it. It is incredible. And, and I love, this one rabbi brought it up, he says, isn't it interesting that Moses is never mentioned in the whole entire Passover Seder? Passover Seder is the, the, the book that they work out of to, to do Passover. Moses is never mentioned. It's about the Exodus, and Moses is never mentioned. And if you read some Jewish tradition, they actually say because the Passover is actually about the Messiah. So even they recognize it, even the ones that don't believe in Jesus. So it's incredible. So don't be afraid of some of these things now, if you want to use it to you know, build up your own self-righteousness or, hey, this is the way to do it to get salvation, again, it's like taking a, a saw and using it as a hammer. Wrong tool, wrong purpose. But if you use it for its right purpose, it'll cut right through that wood. And so, anyway, so that's, that's a part of that. So we, we sometimes uh, celebrate Shabbat on Friday nights. And our kids love it, right? Yeah? And what do we sing? We sing Shabbat Shalom at the beginning, which is a pretty popular song for Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom, and we, we sing that. In fact, my daughter was singing it on the way over here, which, you know, I, I, I don't, right now is Shabbat. Um, it begins on Friday evening and goes, and you sit there and you, you go through even the, the liturgy that the Jewish people have, and you just see so many things. It's just wonderful and teaches you so much about God. One of my favorite parts in the Shabbat, uh, uh, prayers and so on, where it talks and it goes through. Um, uh, I believe this was also in Numbers, where it actually talks about do not follow your own heart, for it will lead you astray. Follow my words. And I think that is incredible because that speaks against the very fabric of our 
popular culture today. You see any movie, any song, and what do they say? Follow your heart and it won't go wrong. No, it's saying in Scripture, you follow your heart, you will go wrong. Don't follow your heart. Be warned, you know, and, uh, and, to, follow, and to follow him. So there's all kinds of things. And then you're, you're doing Scripture, you're lighting candles, you're doing some of these things, and it's, it's like show and tell. God did this for the Jewish people and created a culture so it would, one, get rid of idolatry, which I don't think is over. It's in all of our lives. In fact, if you want to deal with idolatry, you can come to the Celebrate Recovery here. Uh, and that is the sins that we go to and we look to rather than to God uh, that has been ingrained in us through experience, life, what have you. Um, but then they, they literally took their, like say they were addicted to, to, um, to power and wealth and so on, and they made a statue to Baal. They just... Looked at it. They didn't buy just a nice car. They bailed to statue. And so a lot of that are show and tell things to help them break down that idolatry for the nation of Israel. But it, it continues on. It shows more. It shows about God's redemption, his purposes. And one of the things that we want to do is have this class be a springboard to, to celebrate some of these feasts. Uh, whether in learning, maybe invite uh, some from the Jewish community uh, to, to, to walk us through it and just get, kind of give a different perspective. And we'll see how that goes. And that's why if you, if you want to sign up, we'll, we'll stay connected with this. But, but that's just kind of the story. And I just wanted to give you a couple stories of how that can really enrich our lives. A lot of this was torn away, pulled away from understanding the Jewish roots because of church history that said, oh, no, 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 we don't do anything Jewish. We don't want to have anything to do with that because we know they're cursed. I'm saying, you know, don't look at it that way. I just encourage you to um, look at it in a way that says, wow, this can really enhance. Not everything is right. You've got to use discernment, weigh it against Scripture, test it against Scripture. But, you know, don't throw out the, the, uh, the matzah with the, the basket. I don't know. What's a good uh, saying? <laughs> what? The baby out with the bathwater. I was trying to make it a little bit more Jewish, you know. Um, so I encourage you to, be, to take part of that. And it's really been an enhancement and a wonderful thing for our family. And, and my mom every year is like, oh, can we do a Passover something, you know, to remember that? Because, you know, he, God didn't command us at this period of the season or to his people that, to look for Easter eggs and bunnies. He, lo- he asked us to... To, to, to remember his death and resurrection, and that was in conjunction and tied with the Passover that we just had. And, and uh, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, you've got to know what you're saying yes to before you can say no to something. If you know the richness of teaching and understanding of Passover and resurrection and that connection, you know, it's like, what are we doing with these bunnies and eggs? You know? So, anyway... Um, so that, that, that's one of the, the journeys that, that, that why I'm here and in, in, in the process. I, I still haven't finished my master's thesis. That's another important thing. Uh, so I don't have my master's. Uh, but uh, that will happen soon. I was just talking to someone about that the other day. Uh, but the next part that we want to bring up, and we're going to just go ahead. Are you guys okay as far as breaks and everything? I was just looking at, is it okay that we just go ahead into the next section? Is that okay with everyone? Feel free to get up and come back if you need to. But I want to just go straight into Anthony.
Anthony's story is an incredible story. Um, and I'm going to let you let him tell his story. But uh, to me, it's just kind of a, a perfect encapsulation of what this means, that Israel's story is our story. Anthony. Oh, I'm really just thankful to be here, first of all. Um, I feel very unworthy uh, to talk to you guys about this because I don't have a master's degree. Um, <laughs> good. Um, you guys might ask, am I Jewish? Uh, I don't have uh, any Jewish family. Um, said, well, surely you've at least been to Israel. Uh, haven't been to Israel. <laughs> um, I'm a Gentile through and through. Um, a rebellious one at that. Um, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit about my story, but I wanted to start off with a quote um, that I just love uh, that Mark Twain, uh, who is not a believer, uh, said about uh, Israel. He said, The Egyptian, the Babylonian, and the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed, made a vast noise, and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out, and they sit in twilight now or have vanished. The Jew saw them all. All things are mortal, but the Jew. All other forces pass away, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? As an atheist, my whole life, uh, 22 years, um, being uh, uh, someone who enjoyed learning, I grew up with a wonderful family uh, who were both uh, raised uh, Catholic um, and left uh, the faith before I was born. they weren't opposed to God, but there was no God in my home. Um, it was all about being good, and I was very blessed uh, with the parents that I did have. They loved me and loved each other just fervently. Um, but uh, being good, uh, I was shown, is not enough. Um, I was somebody my whole life who would argue with Christians um, about how there was no God. And I, I had a whole lot of pretty solid ideas I think I think I was pretty convinced and I made a good argument and and I would really argue with them about that um and I and now in retrospect I'm just amazed at the grace of God and I guess that's what I want to kind of just start off with saying is that Israel is the best example of God's grace outside of Christ The entire plan um, from the beginning till now with the nation of Israel represents God's grace towards us all, beginning with the Jew. Um, so just to tell you a little bit about my story, um, I, you know, raised, uh, you know, not in a, in a church or anything. Um, very early on, I got into uh, to drugs and alcohol. Um, I was somebody, I was, a, I was a star basketball player, got into hanging out with the, the popular crowd, and, uh, and, and from about the time I was 14, um, started to, to drink and do drugs. Um, Parents loved me, did everything they could to, to point me in the right direction, but the power of sin in this world was just, uh, I think, too much, and, and it really uh, it pulled me in, and the sin within me. Um, nobody told me about Jeremiah 17.9 that said, I have a wicked and deceitful heart, and you kind of touched on that, um, that would lead me astray, that there was a way that seemed right to man, but in the end it led to death, um, and I got to find that out the hard way. Um, Went through high school, um, went to college to play basketball, uh, was planning on doing that, blew my shoulder out, ended up not doing that. Um, at the time, had already been uh, smoking pot and drinking for a number of years and uh, taking pain pills for the surgery that I'd had on my shoulder in my freshman year. 
started to abuse those pills, um, and then that turned into a full-blown uh, addiction with, with um, pot, cocaine, getting into harder drugs. Um, went to college, was a functioning drug addict and alcoholic, um, kept a 3.5 GPA, kept a job, and was just staying up for days at a time and, and just living. Uh, I was living promiscuously. I was, you know, just as, as much of... Uh, um, a, pursue, a pursuer of pleasure uh, as anybody could be. Um, and so, uh, so I did that uh, until college, moved. I'm from Pennsylvania, from Western PA. I moved to Texas um, thinking that if I changed the scenery, uh, that would change uh, my wicked heart, and uh, I was wrong. And uh, the same things that I was into then found me here. Um, and so uh, without getting into too much detail, because this is not about me, um, but you know, I, uh, I got into a fraternity, met some of the first Christian guys that I uh, had ever really um, seen um, living out their faith. Um, and uh, so half of my fraternity was like that, half was partiers. I swung towards the party crowd um, and through college um, got two DWIs um, within the span of a year. Um, while working for the Dallas Cowboys, had gotten an internship, made a bunch of money, more than I had ever had, and bought a Lexus. I was the, the, the guy on campus driving a Lexus to frat parties, thinking I was just uh, had it all together, um, dating the prettiest girls and doing all that, and thinking, just thinking I had the, the world on my shoulders. Um, and I love Solomon's story now because I didn't have that kind of uh, money or power or anything, but in some small way I felt a lot like that, but realized just how empty life was. There was something just huge missing in my heart. Um, and so uh, two DUIs um, started uh, feeling a tugging on my heart that I needed to, to, to seek out this thing that I saw uh, in some of the Christians that were around me. Um, and so I started to go to church, um, met a girl. Uh, this was in, I think, 2007, so not all that long ago. Um, started to go to the village church and just really heard the gospel for the first time and heard that while I was yet a sinner, that Christ died for me. And I remember the first time I heard that, like, it just penetrated my heart in a way that I can't describe. And I was just brought to my knees. And I realized just the rebellion that I had done my whole life and that God loved me in the middle of all of that. Like when I was passed out on the floor of a bar underneath of a urinal, the worst, just most disgusting place, thinking of the prodigal son who was in a pigsty. I was in a pigsty of my own doing, and God was with me then, and he saw the future when I would re be redeemed by the blood of Christ, and that I would be raised and resurrected, that, that Christ would quicken my spirit the same way the Father will resurrect us from the dead. He would resurrect me, and eternal life would begin now. And so I heard all this, and my whole world was just blown open. Um, Went to, went to, uh, to court uh, for my second DWI, um, got con convicted, and had to do 30 days in jail. And I remember walking out of um, that jail with the same question, why does God allow suffering? And I walked out of that jail, and uh, I remember calling my dad. And I knew my dad loved me. Um, I had no doubt of his love for me uh, my whole life. He was at every sporting event, just a wonderful father. But he never really said it. He didn't say it. It, was, it didn't need to be said. I knew. Well, I walked out of that, that, um, that, that courthouse, and um, I called my dad, and I was crying. And I just felt so ashamed of what I had done. And uh, <laughs> I remember him saying, Anth, we're going to get through this. I love you. And I just started to sob because I couldn't. It was a, I think it was one of the first times I had heard that. And then I heard the Lord instantly say, do you see why I allow some suffering, because it softens even the hardest of hearts. And 
I heard the Lord's voice for really for the first time personally, and I knew that He had chosen to set me apart for a purpose. And um, and I did, and I didn't fully understand what that was yet. But so I started to to start to pursue the Lord. Went and did my jail time. I remember driving to jail, and this is the one story I wanted to share. Was I was driving into jail, and I called my mom, and I. Uh, I I just was really upset. I was like, Mom, I'm so, I felt so much guilt and so much shame for what I had done. Um, and so I called her and I said, I'm so, you know, I just apologized, said how sorry I was. And after I got off the phone, just the shame and guilt was overwhelming. And I just said, God, if you are real, I need you to reveal yourself to me. So here I am still. I mean, I'd seen him deliver me from drugs and alcohol. Um, but yet I'm still going, God, if you're real, show me. <laughs> and so that really ties to, to Israel because they've done the same kind of thing over. And Israel's story is our story. And uh, so I get to jail, and, they, and I check in, and they put me at bunk four. And uh, so I'm, I pray that prayer, and I'm just like, God, I can't get through this without you, because I was just terrified of, of going in there. And I walk in, and there's like 24 bunks on each side of this room, and there's no books or anything. But on bunk number four, there's a book, and it's laying open. And I'm like, walk up to it, and it's the Ephesians book from the Bible. And I was a new believer, brand new, so I don't even know if I'd even read Ephesians yet at that point, um, and saw it. And I just heard the Lord say, I'm with you, Anthony. I've always been with you. And again, brought me to my knees. And so I spent the, that time reading and praying. And at that moment, and I'm going to back up a little bit to kind of put this on context. When the Israelites went into captivity in Egypt, that was a picture that God was giving us of what would happen one day in the spiritual sense for all of us. We have all been in captivity in Egypt. Some of us with drugs and alcohol, some of us with pursuing success, the American dream, you know, fill in the blank. We've all been in that captivity, but what God did was he brought them out of captivity and he delivered them from the bondage uh, to self and slavery. And so in that jail, I remember just feeling freedom more trapped inside of those walls than I had ever felt on the outside. I felt a, a kind of freedom that I can't even describe, and I realized that I didn't even have it physically in, the, in that sense. I couldn't leave, but I knew I was free because my soul had been, my eyes had been opened, the veil had been lifted, um, so to speak. And so that is really my story. So after that, um, you know, you'd think everything went great because when you become a Christian, everything's really easy, right? Um, no. <laughs> Let me put that to rest real quick. Um, uh, after that, I was dating a girl um, who had been dating from the beginning, and a few months later, um, for some reason, I decided to drink again. Um, and I drank and got hammered, and I had just been baptized. Um, and so here I am committing the primary evil that Israel committed, which was trusting in other things than God. God had showed up and delivered me over and over, and I even heard his, his voice, and still I turned back to the worthless idols that had led me to where I had been already. And so I got drunk. I got into a place where, I mean, just going to share completely open. I wanted, to, I wanted to die. I didn't want to live anymore. I felt like I had failed God. I felt like I had ruined his plan um, and had gotten um, a ride home uh, from, uh, it was a work function. Um, got home, sat in a chair, and had two knives in my hands. And I was, I was thinking about what I was going to do. And I remember feeling a physical hands reach and grab both of my wrists and the knives dropped out of my hand and right at that moment my roommate walked in and asked me if I needed help and I said yes um, and so I went to rehab and uh, this is where uh, it's hard for me to put into words um, I was 
completely silent for 24 hours. I didn't say a word to anybody. Um, I couldn't talk. I was so introverted. The guilt and the shame came back again, and I was just, I felt just a weight on my shoulders of what I had done. Now God was involved. I was like, I had just completely ruined God. I had cursed his name for 24 hours right after I had got drunk about how could you let me get drunk again? How could you, doing this to God, right? And I just, you know, I, 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 was, I was feeling this guilt and shame, and so, um, f- so I, I laid down that night, and I said, God, I said, I just, I, repent. I, I know now I repented at that moment. I, I said, God, I, I cannot go my own way. I need your presence in my heart. I need the blood of Christ to co- cover me because I understand the weight of my sin now. And um, I, went to, I fell asleep crying and praying, and I woke up that next day, and it was as if someone had shined a light into a dark room, like, I mean, I knew the Spirit of God had come upon me, and I was just filled, and, and, and I was just, and I, so I started to share with other people, and all these people had just seen this babbling basket case come in for 24 hours, and all of a sudden, here I am, just smiling and happy, and, and I'm just praying with people, and, and my parents were on their way out to visit, and I was terrified of having to look my dad in the eye, and that was what God had said to me that morning, that morning was, I will give you the ability to stare at your father in the eye and feel the physical removal of your sin from your shoulders. And I felt the physical presence lifted of the guilt and the shame, and from that day uh, till now, I've been sober. It's been um, almost three years now. And um, so now... now. <laughs> Um, I, I just give God all the glory because I did nothing but try to wreck it all along. So all that to say, and if I please cut me off, um, you know how much time. Um, but um, I wanted to just kind of touch on a couple things. Um, the Israelites' forgetfulness is our forgetfulness. How many times did we, um, you know, Psalm 106 specifically talks about Israel? Um, you know, when they when they when God parted the Red Sea, and the first things they said after that He parted the Red Sea was they soon forgot His works. Like, literally, the sea parted. I mean, I haven't seen a sea part. I saw some pretty crazy stuff, but that, that was pretty intense. They still forgot. So what, I'm going to challenge everybody. What areas, what things has God done in our lives um, that we are, are forgetting um, of his faithfulness? Um, the fact that God brought us out of captivity to sin and worldly pursuits, um, his deliverance. While we were yet sinners, while we were doing nothing to deserve it, God brought us out of Egypt um, and, and has set us on a rock and, and given us new life. Um, it's not dependent upon anything we do. Um, so the whole argument of with the Jews rejecting Jesus and all that, that has no bearing on God's love or grace towards them. And we have to display that back as his vessels, as ministers of reconciliation, as Paul called us. Um, to them. Um, you know, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Greek. Um, so that's, that's huge. And then the idol worship we've talked about. Um, you know, what things are we worshiping? I've never built a golden calf before. I don't know. Has anybody ever built a golden calf or... Or a silver one, I don't know. Um, I've never built a golden calf, but I, I drove a Lexus that defined me. Um, I was a basketball player that defined me. My, my, the records I said, it defined me. I was a good kid for a while there, and that defined me. Um, all those idols that I had erected. As a believer, my desire to get into ministry defined me. That became even an idol. Even the good things became idols. Um, so, so those were a couple of things. Um, what else did I want to share? How did, how did you get your 
Thank you. Yeah, I can get off track. Okay. Um, <laughs> from the very beginning, um, what God did was he took the sinful passions that were in my heart, the sinful desires that I had, and he replaced them with his desires, the things that he was about. And, and I saw that happen very quickly. And one of the, the first thing, obviously, was the gospel, sharing it with people in general, wanted people to know that they could be forgiven, that they could live new lives. And second was that Israel was his, his land and his people. And the Jews were, in the end, going to be the ultimate example of his restoration of that. They did nothing to deserve it. All along, they were the least of the nations, but yet God being rich in mercy, with the great mercy that he loved us, that that would be what he would do through Israel. And so, um, so from the very beginning, God gave me this fire for Israel. And then as I've always been involved with like, politics, I really like, you know, always grew up watching the news and knowing what was going on. I always wondered why Israel was always the center of everything. And then all of a sudden God gave me, well, because I, that is, those are my people. And it's an, it's an example of people's rebellion against me, the way that the nations rebel against Israel. The, the way that the nations persecute Israel, the way that even Christians have persecuted Israel, it's, it's, a, it's a physical example of how we all have rebelled against God, how we've all, we crucified the Son of God. I mean, so, you know, I like to think that if I was standing there, I wouldn't have been one of the ones I'd have been like, yeah, I was with him. You know, of course I was with him. You know, I was one of his disciples. No, I probably would have been like, I don't even know who that guy is. You know, so I have to remind myself that. Um, so I got just, you know, got really involved. The guy at work um, had connected me with Lisa. He knew I was really passionate about Israel. He was a Messianic Jew. Um, throughout my walk for the last few years, God keeps bringing, bringing up a couple different um, people, uh, Messianic Jews. Um, and so I just see his, his hand. And so actually for the first time, my wife and I celebrated uh, Passover, did the Seder this year. And it was amazing. And I will never, ever uh, hunt for Easter. These verses that somehow we are, we're, we're half forgetting, we wanted to, what, are, what is a verse that everyone, God really laid on everyone's heart as it relates to this topic and our goal was to inspire um, to give you a heart an understanding uh, a beginning a first step uh, toward a heart and understanding of really understanding God's heart understanding uh, the Jewish faith as God gives uh, it to both the Jewish people and to us and um, we can stand on those promises even when it doesn't look like uh, you know Everything is the way we think it should be. Uh, I think that's what Paul was dealing with, with Romans 9 through 11. And he was warning the Gentiles. I love the verse where he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. I think that's an amazing statement. That's a very Jewish statement in the sense that I don't want you to not know what you can't really know. That's a very odd statement. You know, it's very similar to uh, <clears throat> uh, during Purim or the uh, Feast of Esther, uh, where, where um, uh, they talk about remembering to forget Haman, and that comes from uh, um, uh, the Torah, where we're called to remember to forget Amalek. How do you remember to forget Amalek? You know, th- those, these kind of statements are just baffling, but there's, there's a deeper truth there. So he says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. In other words, God is doing something that we can trust in him. Yes, we be faithful. 
We be faithful to what God said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, starting in Jerusalem, and then go into the outer ends of the earth. Okay? So that, that's very biblical. But also, Paul, <laughs> for some reason, admitted that, hey, it's really hard to reach the Jewish community. And he talks about a veil that hides over their eyes and so on. So, with, as with all people, you do have to have a, a humbleness and a humility that only God changes people's lives. We do not force the issue. But he also promises that he will. And Paul does say that all Israel, kol Yisrael, all Israel will be saved. That's, that's, that's as good as gold in the bank. God makes a promise, it's done. We just get to be a part of how that happens, maybe. And that's what, that's what uh, we get to be a part of. And what's happening right now in the world, I believe, with all my heart, is exactly... Uh, that coming against those promises. When you peel it away and you look at all the hatred of Israel, all the horrible things that are saying about Israel and the Jewish people, uh, if you go to Europe and you see what they're saying about Israel and the Jewish people, you go on the university campuses in the United States and see what professors are saying about Israel and the Jewish people. If you go to uh, the Middle East and you see it celebrated, the hatred and the killing of Jews like we haven't seen since Adolf Hitler, so blatantly, so much hatred. And they are being held captive by that hatred. And that's why whenever people say, I, there was a gentleman who came up and he says he, he, he does a lot of ministering to uh, the Islamic uh, community. And, and Islamic community right now in the Arab world is being held in bondage by their hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. And that is directly against Scripture, uh, and it also will destroy them. God promises that. So that is a, a, a huge um, amount of prayer and concern uh, on that issue. But what we have to see is also what is the truth here. And be very careful about our sources of information, especially as they contradict the Word of God. And so... That's one of the aspects, and we'll watch this video. Genesis 12 talks about how God will bless those who bless Israel. As uh, Christians, we ought to uh, not tolerate any terrorists that will try to harm God's people. Do you know that in certain parts of Europe, they're actually taking out the history of the Holocaust they're out of the textbooks? They know that they're trying to erase uh, the Holocaust, but how can they do that? That's ridiculous. And they're now speaking where they're trying to reverse and refute history. Six million people that died in the Holocaust, that's, that's almost the exact amount of... Of Jews that are in Israel right now. That would be a complete genocide. I mean, this is history. How do you rewrite history? It can't be ignorant to the truth. I mean, the Holocaust is a part, a part of history. We need to make sure that the past never repeats itself and that we are able to reshape the future. In the media, which is a reflection of what's going globally, is true anti-Semitism. Unfortunately, Israel's got a bad rap. The media kind of plays it against them and puts them as the bad guy instead of as somebody who is defending themselves. Stories are twisted to the left or to the right and to give us a picture that is not necessarily always true. You can't just watch the news. You have to find out for yourself. Our generation can't afford to be silent. 
silent about this issue. Let it not be said that we closed our eyes. Let it not be said that we didn't speak up. You don't have to be a minister or a preacher or an evangelist to get involved. You have to use your voice because your voice really does matter. Open your mouths. People say something. Do something about it. If no one does something about it, who is? Why not us? Why not you? If you don't understand what, what we're talking about, go get yourself informed. Let me remind you that Israel has outlasted Pharaoh in Egypt, according to Exodus. They outlasted Herod and the Roman government. They outlasted Hitler, his ovens, and this Nazi regime. They will outlast Ahmadinejad and all of his republic and those that, des that desire the annihilation of Israel.